going to continue our study in the book of Judges and talking about Gideon, and today we're going to be looking at Gideon's army and how God trimmed Gideon's army and, and the reasons why he did that. And I think there's a lot of great parallels in this story between how God essentially chose who he wanted to be in Gideon's army. There's a lot of parallels between that and the way that God raises up people in his church today. And so as we go through this, I want you to kind of keep that in mind. So we'll begin in Judges chapter 7 and begin reading at verse 1. It says, Early in the morning, Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, There are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, Separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. Three hundred of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, With the three hundred men that lapped, I will save you, and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the three hundred, who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. So in this passage, Gideon starts with thirty-two thousand men, and at the end of it, he's left with only three hundred. And there's a reason why God does this. And it's seen in verse 2, where he says that because they have so many men, that the Israelites will think that their own strength has saved them. And God doesn't want that to be the end result of this. He doesn't want the Israelites to think, yeah, we were big enough and strong enough that we were able to defeat the Midianites. He wants them to be able to look back at what God's about to do and say this was only possible because of what God did through us and through Gideon. And I touched on that a little bit last week, that that was what God wants to accomplish through everything that he is setting up. He wants the Israelites to be reliant upon him for their victory, which at first almost sounds a little bit like a toxic relationship, right? That somebody is wanting to keep their significant other put down and and not let them accomplish anything so that they're reliant upon them, right? But that's not what God is doing here. And you could certainly make that argument that he is if the Midianites were the actual problem that God was trying to address. But the Midianites and and the defeat of the Midianites is not really what's important in this story. That's not the end goal here is to defeat the Midianites because the Midianites aren't the real problem, and God is trying to use this army to address the real problem that is taking place among the Israelites. 
Because remember, in the previous chapter, it talks about how the Midianites and the Israelites having to deal with the Midianites only happened because they turned away from God and began to serve other gods. And so the Midianites then came as a result of that sin. And so the Midianites themselves weren't the problem that God was trying to solve with this army. What God was trying to solve was this issue of their abandonment of God, and that they had turned away from God. And so God needed to show them that they needed to rely on him, that they needed to trust in him, so that they were dealing with the actual cause of the Midianite problem, rather than just the symptom of the Midianites, as a symptom of that real problem of having lost their way and having abandoned God. Because the laws that God had given to them and the covenant that he had with them were things that were there for their protection and for their health. And because they had turned away from God, they were having to deal with not just these Midianites, but all of these other issues that would come as a result of turning away from God's law. So it wasn't that God was trying to put the Israelites down. In fact, he was trying to restore them to something greater than just no longer having to worry about the Midianites, but wanted to restore them all the way back to these paths of righteousness that would lead them into health and prosperity. That's what he was trying to do. God was trying to bring them back onto that right course that they needed to follow. And that was the real issue that God was addressing. And that's why it was necessary for God to set up this victory in a way where they would have to rely on God in order to achieve that victory so that they could see and recognize that God was real, that he was protecting them, and that he had their best interests at heart. And that's no more toxic than a parent taking care of their child and, and making sure that their child doesn't just get by in life, but that they're able to actually prosper, that, they, that the parent teaches their child what they need to know to be able to live a healthy, successful life, not just one where they're able to get past their current issue, but then there's going to be more and more coming down the road because they aren't prepared and aren't preparing themselves to actually live a healthy, stable lifestyle. That's what God is doing with Israel. He's saying, I don't just want you to get past this problem. I want to help you to be able to succeed and, and walk in a healthy, righteous life beyond just this immediate issue that you're dealing with. And he really wants to address and show them that the Midianites aren't the real issue that needs to be addressed. What needs to be addressed is that they've abandoned God and they need to turn back to him. And so that's the reasoning behind why he takes these 32,000 men and kind of takes away many of them, most of them, until there's only 300 left. So now let's look at how God does this, because he needs to have the right people for this job. And so the first instruction that he gives to Gideon is to allow anyone go who is trembling with fear. And that's the first group of people that God removes. And we see that that was the majority of people just right there. That 22,000 men left because they were trembling in fear. 
and only 10,000 remained. And so the people that God got rid of in this first trimming that he does is he removes everyone who doesn't want to be there. They don't want to be going into this battle. In fact, they're probably just there because the rest of their tribe went to follow Gideon and they didn't want to look bad. And so there was all this peer pressure and so they just kind of went. They felt like they were forced to go. They had to go. But they didn't want to be there. They were terrified about what was going to happen. They were trembling with fear, clearly not trusting that God is going to bring them that victory. And if you've ever been in any kind of high-risk scenario, you know that when somebody freezes up, that they're not helpful. They just kind of get in the way, and, and they kind of cause there to be more trouble than there was before. And God recognized that. And so he wanted there to only be the people remaining who were willing to be there, who wanted to be there. So when, Gideon, when, when God got rid of all of those who were trembling with fear, all that was left was an army that was consisted of those who were willing to fight, those who wanted to be there, those who trusted God enough to see this thing through. And that's the kind of people that God is looking for. Not those who are serving him begrudgingly or because they feel like they have to, they feel forced into that situation. He wants people to be doing his work that actually want to be doing his work. Those who are willing to do what needs to be done. And you can be willing to participate in the work of God. You can be willing to trust God in that process and still not have total confidence in the situation. You see, it wasn't just that the people that God took away weren't sure how things were going to turn out or they were just nervous about things were going to turn out. That wasn't the issue. The issue was that they were trembling with fear. They were frozen with fear. They did not trust God enough to trust that God would lead them to victory. But just any kind of unease or discomfort doesn't mean that you're now not willing to participate in God and what God wants you to do. Because remember who's leading this army? Gideon. And as we talked about last week, Gideon was not someone that was full of confidence. Gideon was very insecure. He felt very uncomfortable. That's why he needed God to strengthen him. He needed his father to strengthen him. He needed his tribe to strengthen him. And then he needed to go back to God again and again to continue to be strengthened by him. Because Gideon was nervous about what was going to happen. He didn't know how this battle was going to turn out. He didn't know how this story would end. So he was nervous. He was scared. He was insecure. But he continued to obey God. And he was still willing to trust God. See, a willingness to trust God doesn't require that we have total confidence. It just requires that we are willing enough to obey, that we have that desire to trust God to lead us through whatever we're facing. But that's not what these men had who were trembling with fear. They didn't trust that God was going to save them. They took the first opportunity they could to get out of there because they didn't want to be there. 
and that's different from Gideon, who did want to be there, even though he was nervous about what was going to happen. See, you don't need that full confidence. You don't need that complete absence of nervousness in order to be trusting in God. Otherwise, there would be no need for faith. Faith is when we don't know what's going to happen, but we trust God to continue to obey him. But God is looking for people that have that faith, that have that trust in him, to be willing to obey, even if they feel nervous or worried or scared about what's going to happen, that they're still willing to trust him to lead them through. But he wants people who want to be there. He's looking for people who want to engage in the work of his kingdom, that have that desire, that willingness to go where God calls them to go. And that willingness doesn't come in the absence of any kind of uncertainty, but it comes through our faith. And so we need to let our trust in God bring us to that point of willingness to participate in his work. It comes through trusting God, even though we don't know what's going to happen next. Even though God's leading us into the unknown, and that honestly sometimes scares us, that we still want to go where he is leading us. That we trust that God will see us through. We place our faith in him, And he is faithful and never lets us down. But that we trust him and we want to be there. We're willing and have that desire to participate in his work. And that's who God was looking for, for Gideon's army. But of course, just the willingness to be there, just the desire to march off into battle wasn't enough. And so what God has Gideon do next is he takes the men down to the water and he has Gideon separate the army by those who just kneel down and stick their head in the water to drink. And he separates those men from the men who cupped the water with their hands and brings it up to their mouth to lap up the water. And this isn't just some random thing that God does, there's reasoning behind this. Remember, this is an army. And this is an army that has an enemy camp very nearby. And that enemy camp could have come over that hill at any second. And in battle, every second counts. And for all of the men who had their face down in the water... If a group of enemies came over the hill at that time, they would have been completely unaware that that was happening. But those who cupped the water with their hands and brought it up to their mouth could still be on their guard, still be taking a look around to make sure that there were no surprise attacks on their way. So even though all of these men were willing to participate in the battle, there was only a few who had the skill and discipline 
that was needed for combat. And that was who God left Gideon with. Those who were skilled and disciplined. And those who were not skilled, those who were not disciplined, who either had never been told that they needed to stay aware of their surroundings even while drinking water, or they had been told, but because they were so thirsty, they just didn't care. Or they trusted somebody else to deal with that. So whether they just didn't have the knowledge, they didn't have that skill built up in their life, or they just didn't have the discipline to practice that skill, it disqualified them from being a part of this army because they were not prepared. And at this point, they were already in the army about to march into battle. And battle could really have come marching into their camp at any second. So the time of preparation was over. The battle was now. There was no time left to prepare. So they were either ready now, or they weren't ready to be there at all. And those were the ones that God removed. And it left Gideon with an army that not only was willing to be there, but an army that also consisted of those who were prepared to be in that army. And that is also a characteristic that God looks for in his people today. People who are not only willing, but people who are prepared to do the work of his kingdom. And so what kind of preparation is it that God is looking for us now? Well, we can see that if we go over to 1 Peter chapter 3. In verse 15, it says, Always be prepared to do what? To give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Here in this passage, we see what God wants us to be prepared for. To give an answer to everyone who asks us to give the reason for the hope that you have. And I love the way that this is worded because it doesn't just say that we need to be ready to give an answer for what hope we have, but rather we need to be prepared to give the reason for the hope that we have. And that's really the question that's going to be asked of us. Why do you have the hope that you have? I think some believers think that they're prepared because they're able to state what they believe. I believe in Jesus Christ. But just stating what you believe doesn't really give a good defense for anything. It doesn't prepare us to defend our faith if all we know is what we believe. Because the word what is just one of many different question words. And just asking what we believe, that's probably not the only question we're going to get. We'll also be asked, why do you believe that? When did you first believe it? How has that impacted your life? Where does it say that in the Bible? There's a lot more questions out there that we need to answer and be prepared to answer if we're going to defend our faith. Just knowing what we believe, that's not the defense at all. 
That's the opening claim, right? Just like in a courtroom. The courtroom doesn't end when the plea is given. It's not just, how do you plead? I plead not guilty. Well, our work here is done. We know what you plead. We know what you believe. This is what you claim. All right, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, that concludes this session, right? That's not how it happens at all. That's not the end of the trial. That's the beginning of the trial. And the whole rest of the trial is, pri is providing defense to that claim. That you need to have evidence. You need to have receipts. You need to have witnesses that can testify on behalf of your claim. It's not enough to just know what you believe. You need to know why you believe it, and it needs to be shown in your life that it is what you believe, that witnesses can testify, yes, I see through their life that that is what they believe. And that we are able to say, this is why I believe it. This is where I look to in Scripture to find that answer. All of these different questions that go so far beyond just what we believe. And if we're not prepared to answer those questions as well, then we're not prepared to defend our faith. And that is what First Peter calls us to be prepared for, to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And then we have to make sure we're doing that with gentleness and respect, and that we're keeping a clear conscience, which means that we aren't allowing there to be sin in our life. We aren't leading this double life that we're saying one thing and doing another. But with a clear conscience, as it is shown through our life, that we can say, this is why I believe what I believe. And to do that with the gentleness and respect that is necessary in order for the other person to listen to what we are saying, so that we are able to show them why we believe what we believe. And if we aren't prepared for that, then we will be just like this, these men that God trimmed out from Gideon's army, who had their face stuck down in the water, drinking it up, being completely unaware of their surroundings, and being totally unprepared for any kind of surprise attack. We need to be prepared at all times to give a defense for our faith, not just stating what we believe, but to be able to defend why we believe it and where we can go in Scripture to, f to back up our claims. That is what God is calling us to do. That we're not just willing, although that is an important piece, we're willing to trust God. Even if we're like Gideon and we're unsure of what's going to happen, we're going into the unknown, that we're still willing to follow where God calls us, to do God's work and say, you know what, I'm going to place my trust in God and I'm going to move forward in this. I'm not going to allow myself to sit here trembling in fear. I'm going to keep going forward trusting God and putting my faith in Him. And that I'm preparing myself now to be able to give a defense of my faith 
so that I'm not falling under surprise attack that I'm unprepared for. And again, this all comes back to rather than relying on our own strength, that we are relying on God and we're relying on what his word teaches us is true rather, rather than just what we feel is true. It goes back to God because that's where the real issue is. That's where the real battle is being fought, is in our hearts. Are you relying on yourself? Or are you relying on God and his word? Are you allowing your trust in him to give you that willingness to participate in his work? And are you preparing yourself with what is taught in his word so that you're able to defend why you believe what you believe? Are you addressing that real issue that is taking place in your heart and in the world around us rather than just complaining about the symptoms of a fallen world? Oh, there's so much violence. There's so much rudeness. Why? Because they have turned from God. And you need to bring the light of God into those dark places. Are you prepared and willing to be used by God to address the real problems of our world? And that's today's sermon in the pocket. As always, if you have any comments or questions for me, feel free to contact me either through the Sermon in the Pocket Facebook page, or you can email me directly at sermoninthepocket at gmail.com. And I encourage you, as always, to share this with other people to help get the message out there. But I hope that you've appreciated this. I hope that you've enjoyed reading through this passage with me. And I pray that God will bless you as you go throughout your day. Thank you for listening. Thank you.